think I've had a, I think I've had a day like no other. I know that, that we have. As uh, we've been, people have been driving by and receiving blessings. Um, I, the first time I saw that, by the way, was from a Catholic priest. Aaron, if you would help me with, the first time I saw that was a Catholic, I saw the, the news reports of a Catholic priest that was um, serving the Eucharist and people were coming by and being blessed. And uh, we said, why can't we do that? So for the last two hours, people have been coming by and receiving the blessing of the Lord. If you're just joining in with us, we're going to have communion. And so um, usually on Good Friday, I kind of... Uh, enter into the the somberness of the moment, but I'm not feeling it. And I'm not feeling that that's where it needs to be. Uh, it, we're going to look at the death of Christ. But it's going to be a whole different thing as I want to talk to you um, from um, John's gospel. And I want to talk to you about behold the man. Have you got me ready to go, John? All right. Last year, I told this story, and it just bears retelling. It's a, it's a Good Friday meditation like no other. There were, uh, in France, in Paris actually, uh, three young men who decided to prank the priest. And uh, what they did was they just... They, they went to confessional and they, and they confessed uh, all kinds of horrible, horrible sins. Everything that you can think of. And of course they confessed and then they r ran out. Um, the priest caught the last one before he went out the door and simply said, well, son, I want you to do a penance for your confession. And he said, I want you to go on your way out the church and stand before the crucified statue of our Lord. And I want you to, I want you to look at him and I want you to say three times, you did all this for me and I don't give a damn. And the boy went back and said it once and said it twice. And the third time he couldn't say it. And it broke him as he stood before the image of the cross. And it changed his life forever. And the the man who was telling that story said, I know this story is true because I was the young man. And he ended up being the Archbishop of Paris. A lot of people will say to me these days, I don't believe in God. And I want to say, tell me about the God you don't believe in. I don't believe I don't believe in I don't believe in your God, they'll say. And I would tell me about the God you don't believe in. And Good Friday is the day that we behold the man 
And Good Friday is the day that we stand before the cross and we can ask the question, is this the God you don't believe in? Because this is, this is the only God we know. This is the only God we know. I tell people all the time, I have, I have no interest in proving God's existence to you. I know nothing of God but Christ. That's all I know, and him crucified. And so let's, let's think about this, and if we will, let's think about it from, if you'll allow me to, from the Gospel of John. Uh, all the Gospel writers have points of view, believe it or not. The Gospel of John is interesting. Um, let, I, I told my students this week that the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are synoptic Gospels, and they, they are... They are the storytelling them. One theologian called them passion narratives with extended introductions, which is to say they're about the suffering of Christ. That's the subject. And they have the extended introduction of declaring uh, who he is and what he came to do. But the, when you come to the Gospel of John, everybody knows that suddenly we've entered into a different realm. And the reason is this. Uh, John, if you will, is the first theologian of the Gospels. The Gospel writers are more like historians, but John is a theologian. That means to say he's the man who has imbibed these things so deeply that now it's, now it's coming out of him. And the material comes out of him in a whole different way. And in fact, uh, if you understand this, then you'll know how to read it. A lot of people don't know how to read their Bible. Um, frankly, Christian fundamentalists have ruined the Bible for unbelieving people. And unbelieving people read the Bible like a Christian fundamentalist, and they can't reconcile the, the variances, and so they walk away from the Bible. But I would say, no, you have to read the Bible for what it is. And there's poetry in the Bible, and, that, and there's there's all kinds of writings, but this is, uh, this is the writing of a man who has digested and imbibed and he comes to present to us, he wants to present this one, he knows this Jesus, this man, Jesus. And he wants us to see him. And so he puts some images in front of us that, that surprise us. And, and I'm telling you this because there's actually at the end of the gospel, a contradiction that stumbles people at times, but John helps us with it. And so we get these texts. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. This is two texts in John 1 where John the baptizer uh, came and was, was baptizing and preaching and Jesus came to him. And when he saw Jesus, he said, behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And then he said it a second time. And so it's given force there in a little, in a little compressed area, but it's, we're told it was on two different days. The first day, behold the lamb. You know, the one that takes away the sin of the world. And the next day it is, behold the lamb. Well, then learn something else about John's gospel. John's writing is a, it's a story, it's a theology, but it's centered around uh, three Passover celebrations. So he's telling the story of Passover. And, he, and, he's, and in fact, John's doing two things. Number one, he's, uh, uh, John is kind of a second Genesis. So you read Genesis and the echoes of Genesis are in John. If you read the creation story from Genesis, you go to John, you'll read the creation story um, there. Um, if you remember, the last thing that happens in the creation story is uh, the, not creation, but formation. 
Now it is creation, but it's not the, it's not what every other, every other created act, he spoke and it was, he spoke and it was, spoke and it was. And then he comes to the human, male and female. And he didn't speak, he formed and fashioned them. And, and then he saw all that he did and it was very good. So the end of the creation story is the, is the crowning of creation, humanity. And so here, whether you, whether you catch it or not, John gives us a brand new Genesis and then he gives us a brand new creation story and he's going to present to us authentic humanity. Before we're done with John, we will meet the true man. But when he introduces him to us, he introduces him to us through the imagery of the Lamb of God. Now, guys, it's Passover. It's, um, it's the wonderful convergence of Passover. It's the, and it's the Christian celebration of Good Friday and the, the remembrance of uh, the Lord who came and gave himself. And before we're finished, we're gonna, we'll share the communion together. And if you're at home, you can find elements. Uh, what you find, food and drink will be fine. It'll be blessed and it'll be fine. And you can receive with us. But, but I want us to see what, what's going on here. What is going on? He tells us the Lamb of God. Now catch this. The only way that this is coherent to us is through the understanding of Passover. That's where the image of the lamb comes in. And, and guys, you know, the, you know the story of Passover. God told his people, they, he told them to go and, and take a lamb and examine it for a period of days from 10 Nisan to 15 Nisan. And then they were to sacrifice the lamb. And uh, they were to take the blood. They were to drain the blood from the lamb. They were to paint the doorposts. Of, of their houses, and then they were to pass through the bloody doorpost. And what was coming was there was a plague coming that night, a plague that would kill the firstborn of every household, but the Lord would pass over the households where the blood of the lamb was manifested. So that's the story that, that every Jewish person tells. That's the story that Israel told. That was the story of the whole nation of Israel. And it's into that story that John brings the man, Jesus. What's happening in the gospel of John is that we're being brought into Passover. But let's try to remember what Passover is. Um, Passover was Israel's deliverance. But listen, it was not their deliverance um, it actually was not their deliverance from their sin. This is a really important thing to note. When people are trying to understand the death of Christ, the only way to understand the death of Christ is because you want to say, well, what did this mean? What did he do? Well, it's, it's, it's absolutely necessary to understand that, that he was going to come and reenact Passover. But catch it again. When the Passover lamb was slain, it was not an act of, um, it wasn't the kind of act that we normally think about. It wasn't an act to appease an angry God. In fact, all views of Good Friday, all views of the death of Jesus on the cross that 
that try to magnify the fact that God was angry and Jesus died to appease his anger. Hear me when I tell you this. That's not Christian theology. That's paganism in the ancient world. And paganism uh, apes what God comes to bring us. It doesn't create it. And don't turn our Christianity into paganism. But let's, let's come to what it is. I want you to see this. The deliverance from Egypt was a deliverance from the dark powers of the gods of Egypt and the dark powers of Pharaoh. So the, the, the Passover lamb, the, the, the um, spreading of the blood of the Passover lamb, and the, and the people came through. So now he says, Jesus is the lamb of God. Why? And the, and the answer is, if you would understand the prophets, what Israel needed was a brand new Passover. What Israel needed was a, a, a second Passover. But this second Passover must not only, um, it, it actually has to deal with sin, but it also has to deal with the powers. So, again, what do we have? John 19 brings us to, John 19 brings us uh, to um, the death of Christ. Then Pilate took Jesus, flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands and Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him at all. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, in the Latin, eke homo, behold the man. Now, what John wants us to capture is the creation story. We met the first man in the creation story through the creative act of God forming and fashioning man, male and female, made he them. But we meet the one that will be called the last man, the last Adam. We meet him in this man, and literally, Pilate is the prophet. As he says, behold the man. This man is the man formed and fashioned by pain and suffering. Um... The real Christian gospel is that his followers are to be like him. But you have to understand this. He's doing this. He's, he's been very clear to them that this act that he's doing is on behalf of others. It is something that he's doing as God's lamb, as his Passover lamb. Now catch, don't miss the first instance of Passover 
was deliverance from dark powers. And it was not to do with their sin. It was to do with their bondage. But then if you follow the history of Israel, then Israel is laden with sin. And they're in a brand new bondage. And the dark powers of John's gospel are Caiaphas, the one who represents the religious antichrist spirit, and and Pilate, who represents the governmental antichrist spirit. These are the dark powers. They need deliverance from them, but this time they um, they also need forgiveness. There's an earlier story in uh, John's gospel, uh, just before this, where, um, and this is where some people say, well, what about the idea of substitution? The idea of substitution is there, but it's not the primary idea. The primary idea is that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Meaning to say, he's the one because of whom our, um, the plague does not kill us, does not destroy us. The plague, of course, is sin, death, the tyranny of the powers. He's the one that that comes and breaks that hold. But there's that story of uh, one uh, who the people say, well, it's traditional that uh, one one prisoner should be let free. And there's that moment when they cry out for Barabbas instead of Jesus. And the idea there is there is an idea of substitution. It goes like this. Jesus is going to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so just as Jesus comes in for Barabbas, he has come in for us. Representing us, eche homo. Representing us, stepping in for us, which is what? Entering into the fullness of a curse that he can bear that we cannot. You see, the idea is not that the idea is not that that we've done a lot of bad things and we have to be punished. The idea is that what we have done has aligned us with the spirit of the age, with the powers of the age, and with the dark power of death. And Jesus is going into the place where we are to get us. This is why the Bible says, "And you who were dead in trespasses and sins." So sometimes there's an old song that says, I should have been crucified. And that's just balderdash nonsense. If you'd have been crucified, you'd just be dead. (laughs) Jesus is the one who, he's the one who can go into death and get us. Now, what is this about? Two things. He wants to show us authentic humanity and he wants to show us the real God. And Good Friday is the day that we behold the man and that we behold true God. We behold true man, what? Come to give himself for others. This is a season like no other with his COVID-19. This is a time that we are all taking drastic measures. I want you to stop complaining against the drastic measures and Put on the spirit of Christ and say, we are doing this for one another. We are protecting one another. We are defending one another. Um, We are laying down our rights for one another. We are beholding 
the man who stood condemned for another. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. And this is where this, this, is, this is where we have it. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought out Jesus and sat down at the judgment seat. And it was at a place called the stone pavement, which is in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, it was at the day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. Now, listen to the phrase. First, he said, behold the man. Now, he says, behold your king. God has made a prophet out of Pilate. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucified him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? I don't have time to go into the fullness of that message. I've done it many times when I'm teaching on the kingdom of God. And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. And he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Behold the lamb. Behold the man. Behold your king. But we're not done yet. And then we have Jesus hanging on the cross. They've crucified him. And oh, by the way, just to return back to that Passover motif, if you're a good student of scripture, and if you're careful, you'll look at the synoptic gospels and you'll say, wait, the order of what happens in the synoptic gospels is not the same as the order that happens in John. And you would be correct. Because in in, in uh, the Synoptic Gospels, um, the disciples are actually eating the Passover meal at the time when the Passover um, lamb is being sacrificed. But if you come to the Gospel of John, Jesus is being killed at the hour when they kill the Passover sacrifice. Is this just wrong no, no, no. This is what a theologian is doing. He has started by telling you he's the lamb of God. That lamb imagery always talks of Passover. And now he tells us, he puts Jesus' death at that hour because he's interpreting it for us. Here is the Passover lamb being sacrificed, his blood being shed. He's hanging on the cross. And when he's hanging there, there's this moment. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, John's way of referring to himself. And I always like to tell people everywhere, Jesus has a way of making all of his people feel like they're his very favorite. Standing nearby, he said to his mother, Jesus says to his mother, woman, behold your son. Now, first of all, this phrase, this phrase woman was not a denigration of her. It was once again a hearkening back to creation. Um, because even if, well, I won't go too far into this, but even, even as uh, Jesus is uh, a, a new son, a new man, 
his mother is in that position of Eve, who was told that her seed would come and crush the head of the serpent. But he says to her at this moment, behold your son. Now, don't miss this. What's happening? Jesus is saying to his mother, he is me. He's not saying, here's you another son. He says, he is me. He said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Therein is Christian discipleship. The whole story of it. Therein is the whole story of behold the man. The man we behold in his suffering is re-embodied in the, in the man who stands by the mother. And, and Jesus says, this is your vocation the rest of your life. Don't miss it, because what he's trying to do, what he's doing is he's turning us into him. The Bible said, or, or the old church fathers used to say, he became what we are in order to make us what he is. And here's the picture of it here at the cross. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Behold the lamb, the Passover lamb. Behold the man, the new creation man. Behold the king, the crucified king. Behold your son, who he came to make us into. And so we come to this passage that, that closes it, but not finishes it for us just yet. After this, Jesus, knowing all was now finished, said uh, to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. And a jar of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge on it, uh, full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And I've often, I've taught about this passage in other places, so I won't do it today. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it's, it's finished. Well, what's finished? Uh, this is Jesus declaring new creation. Because what Jesus came to do was to create a whole new humanity and to create a whole new world. And that's the gospel. The gospel is not escaping from this awful place. The gospel is the restoration of all things, a new heaven and a new earth and new humanity. We'll finish uh, as, we, as we consider this. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And now you might say to me, I don't believe in God. This is the only God I know. I don't know any other God. I don't know anything else about God. I know this. I know that the caricatures of God that are demonstrated to the world by so many of us have, have reached us to the place where uh, Jesus is the only reason people can't detach themselves from this thing we call Christianity. Let it not be so. Because I want to tell you, this is all I know of God. 
This is very man and very God. This is true humanity and true God. True humanity, the one who comes. And listen, don't miss the, don't miss the imagery. In the first Passover, the lamb was sacrificed and the people escaped the curse. This one, don't miss it. He came and bore the curse. He entered into it and bore the curse. He bore the wrath of religious man and the wrath of political man and the wrath of, of, of the dark powers. He bore it. He went into it. In order to overcome it, but the, but the saying is there, uh, he became what we are in order to make us what he is. And so I want us to end um, where oftentimes we, we don't end. We, we, we oftentimes place this in the middle, but I want it to be at the end because I want to show you something that I don't want you to miss. So if you have bread and if you have the cup, then I, I, want, you to, I want you to be prepared to enter into this with me. Because I want to go into one more place with John and finish here. The Jews disputed among themselves. This is in John chapter 8 saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Remember that moment when Jesus scandalized them all? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood... You have no life in you. Uh, this is literally the, the Johannine presentation of Eucharist, of Lord's Supper, of communion. What is he saying? The only way that you can have life in you is to receive his body and his blood. That's what he says. Now, Again, for every Israelite, they were accustomed to having sacrifices and then eating the meat of the sacrifice, but never the blood, never consuming the blood. He scandalizes them both ways. Whoever feeds on or eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because the Father, um, because of the Father, whosoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, if you were in evangelical churches over the years, you'd be at the end of the service and the preacher would say, I want you to receive Jesus. He would ask you to, a few questions and if you said yes, then he would ask you to pray a prayer and receive Jesus. But that's not what Jesus said. 
You don't find that anywhere. Jesus said, if you want my life in you, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so this is the moment to receive. And if you're out there watching, this is the moment to receive. I want you to receive him. Who are you receiving? True man and true God. And if you receive true man, then when you, when you, when you do that, then you're going to spend the rest of your life behold your mother. That is to say, your life will be given for others as his life was given for others. And as he told John to embody him, by ingesting him, we embody him. And then at the same time, you'll have life in you. The Bible usually says you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but this is you're filled with the very life of Christ. And so not going to hesitate. This is the body of Christ. This is Jesus offering himself to us and in receiving Jesus, we thank you that you gave yourself to us. That you gave yourself for us in order to give yourself to us. And you gave yourself to us to live your life in us. We receive this day your body with thanksgiving. The body of Christ church is given for you. most shocking of all things and I know my I've watched my my wife so many times take the cup and say the life is in the blood and I've watched her so many times as the as the tears fill her eyes as she realizes what we're doing we're saying that to drink this cup is to literally receive the very life of Christ receive him the blood of Christ is given for you. This is the happiest of all Good Fridays. This is a day that I'm literally saying, Lord, Deliver us from the plague that's on us. But Lord, don't let us come out of this the way we went into it. Behold the man. We see Jesus. Behold your king. We see the father. Behold your mother. We see each other. Open our eyes and cause us to see. Now may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you and may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, good Friday to you all. Amen.